Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. Its faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing environment. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Jennifer Zunikoff. She's a storyteller, poet, educator, facilitator, and coach. She's the founder and director of The Golden Door, Storytelling for Social Justice, an organization that brings storytellers and facilitators to schools to coach teachers, educate students, and build safe, encouraging classroom communities. Jennifer also co-taught a course at Goucher College about the oral histories of the Holocaust. She tells us today about the power of storytelling to transcend differences in people and in cultures. Jennifer, you are a storyteller, a poet, an educator, a facilitator, and a coach. Now, that's a lot of different hats to wear. Break that down for us. What, what would you call yourself if you had to sort of summarize all of that? Sure. Yes, it does sound like I wear a lot of hats, but really, those really overlap. So you can imagine hat upon hat upon hat. <laughs> yes. Really, they are speaking to different parts of my personality and different parts of my work with the community. So I would call myself foremost a storyteller. And what I like to think of myself as is a story listener, although I will admit that that part of me can use some work. <laughs> when I am listening, I'm at my best, even though I really like to talk. The story comes to me, and I have to listen it, listen to it within myself before I can articulate it so that others can listen to me. And when I teach storytelling, because that's a big part of my work, I'm always saying that to my students, whether they're teens or children or adults, many are teachers. I say, listen to the story telling itself inside of you, and that's what you're going to share with other people. I know you work with children uh, on occasion. Uh, I was wondering, as I was looking over all of your material, do you think people are born with the capability of storytelling, with the desire for storytelling? Is it something inherent within us? Absolutely. Every single person has a story, is a story. We are part of the grand story. I had a rabbi, Rabbi Morris Allen, who would talk about our story of the Exodus, 
of the Jewish people, and I'm a, a Jewish woman who works as a storyteller, and as the exodus of the people is our great story, it's our great tapestry, and we all have a little piece in that, and I agree with him completely, and I also think that the entire, all of humanity, we are all part of the grand story. We could even say, not just humanity, the, the earth, the planets, the, the animals, the plants, we are all part of the story, and we are here to speak it. Some of us, as you and I, where we speak as part of our living, right. us as dancers, or as artists, or as photographers, we each have a way of capturing and sharing a piece of the story. And children want so much to be able to share that story, be in that story, be heard in their story. Absolutely. And unfortunately, some of us forget that. So many people will say to me, oh, I'm not creative. I can't do that. You're doing it by living your life and doing the work you're called to do. You are telling our story. I know that with some children, whether it's through the school system or at home, uh, their imagination is crushed or limited or stifled, whatever word one wants to use to describe that. It sounds like you're trying to do just the opposite, especially with young people, which is to open them up and allow them the opportunity to sort of soar with their words and their thoughts and their imaginations. I love that. You made me think of something. When you talked about soaring, of course, we think of birds, right? Majestic birds, colorful birds, and they're soaring through the sky, and they can go anywhere. Anything's possible. They can see anything. A story is coming to mind about the tree of life. So in our traditions, in, in Judaism, in Christianity, um, there is this idea of the tree of life. In Hebrew, it's called the Eitz Chaim, which is tree of life. And the tree of life is there in the midst of the garden. And in the Jewish tradition, there are all kinds of uh, debates as to what was the actual fruit of the tree. And I, a few years ago, was telling a story, kind of a modern story, about a person who came across the eighth time, the tree of life. And the tree, in my vision, it just came to me, had every fruit, every single fruit of the world, even ones that I've never seen, were on the tree. And that's the richness of our heritage as human beings, as people of this earth. And children have all that open to them. And what a shame it would be to only see hanging there an apple. May we all have access to it throughout our lives, and may we teach that to our children, that it is theirs to enjoy. You have taught so many people the art of storytelling, and one of the things that intrigued me was that I, I read that you, for about 10 years, worked on oral histories of the Holocaust survivors with mm. students. And from what leaped off the page at me when I was reading that is that you, you definitely seem to have a purpose of linking young people 
with older people who have had a life-changing experience. And you were using story as a bridge to those generations. Am I off base? You are right on target. Beautifully said. I love the the idea of the bridge, exactly. That to tell these stories is obviously important. It's obviously important um, to tell the horrors, the tragedies, the, the lost childhoods, um, the lost loved ones, and the horrors, because we need to know horrible things are happening, horrible things are still happening to different peoples around the world. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. Um, we need to hear those stories, and it's essential. And just as importantly, just as important, we have to know that those people who survived the Holocaust and the people who didn't, they were people. They had full, rich, textured lives before this happened. And we need to interview them and ask them about their lives before and their lives after just as much as we have to ask about what happened to them during those horrible years. And what the students found was that they related to these people as people. Some of them were so nervous. You can imagine. Oh, yes. Right? A 20-year-old college student, and this is at Goucher College um, outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and they're you're a college student, and you are going to interview someone who has been through things you cannot imagine that in many ways you don't want to think about. And yet think about the kinds of young people who take a class like that. We had people from across the spectrum. Of course, we had a lot of Jewish students, but we had a lot of of non-Jewish students. We had history majors, and we had computer science majors. We had all kinds of people who felt an obligation and a calling and the opportunity that they are from what I consider um, this time, all of us, you and I, everybody who's alive right now, is part of a time that I call the fragile window. And the fragile window is still open. There are still survivors who are still asking us to hear their tales, and there are still people of all ages asking to hear them. But the fragile window will not be open forever. And we, instead of seeing it as, oh, this loss, these people are going to be gone. Yes, it is a loss. But look at this possibility. We're still in the time of the fragile window. The window is still open. We can still meet these people as people and learn from them. What an absolute blessing. Just yesterday, I was with a lovely woman, Roberta Rabinek, who is the wife of George Rabinek. May he rest in peace. He died a few years ago, and he was one of the the people interviewed by three of our students. And she is now taking it upon herself to tell her husband's story, her late husband's story. And so just yesterday we were working on it because she is soon going to perform as part of another project that I am part of, that an organization I founded uh, three years ago with a lot of help, 
and it's called The Golden Door, Storytelling for Social Justice. And in that organization, different people come. Usually they're young adults, but not in all cases. And this woman, you know, her husband was a survivor, so of course she's older. People come with me into our partner schools, which are high schools or middle schools in Baltimore City, mostly high schools. And we work with one teacher at a time and all her classes. So this year, we're at Patterson High School, where I have been before in different projects, through different projects. We're at Patterson High School in Baltimore City. And the 11th grade class of Ms. Carrie Graham, those are the students I'm working with, all four of her 11th grade English classes. And the students are a combination mostly of African-American students and immigrant students, which includes many refugees from Africa, from um, Central America, and other places. And they hear stories from different storytellers that we bring in to tell about different social justice challenges. And of course, these students understand. They have their own challenges they've been going through. And Roberta Rabinak will be one of the storytellers who comes to tell the story of George, her husband, and what he went through in the Holocaust and his life afterward. So the stories start just interweaving one project into another, one person touched, and um, the next person cannot help but be touched and pass it on, pass on the, the love for story, the need for story, and really the knowledge that not only is it your right to tell your story and these powerful stories, but it is actually a responsibility. You have a story and you've heard stories. It is now incumbent upon you. It's a charge. You go and tell so that others may learn and so that they may tell. I've approached much of my career through news and news has a tendency to tell a story but then move on. And every day there's a new story and every day there's a new issue. And in doing so, we sometimes give short shrift to some of the people that that endured whatever we are reporting. And it brings to mind uh, the Squirrel Hill massacre uh, and the... Uh, people who were in the synagogue in Charlottesville with the, yes. with the neo-Nazis outside. I would like to hear more of their stories, not as a news event, but as people who endured. Uh, yes, we must hear those stories. And you can imagine the Jewish community in America and around the world is fairly small compared to many other communities. And so we all know someone who was part of that synagogue. Within probably hours of this happening, or that evening, I realized that a young lady who had been my intern for helping with a handbook that I've written for, with storytelling um, for Jewish teachers, she was a member of the synagogue. Excuse me, she was not a member. Her mother was the youth director or the religious school teacher of that synagogue. So she had been there. Not that day, but regularly. And then a young woman from my own synagogue who was 18 years old, it turned out that her uncle 
was a member of that synagogue and had been running a little late that morning and had not yet left, left his house when this had happened. So all of a sudden, the stories get very, very close. All of a sudden, the stories you realize are our stories. And I could not help but seeing this same event happening in my synagogue. It just immediately became part of my reality and my fear for my daughter and my husband and myself and my community. And I think that's the thing with stories is that even when they haven't happened to us and most of these horrific things have not happened to most of us, we are so interconnected, whether it's very direct, like being part of the same religion or cultural group, or it's because you are a human who is breathing the molecules that other humans are breathing. When I think of what happened in Sandy Hook, I will never forget where I was sitting. I happened to be with my father and daughter. That becomes part of the story of all of these tragedies and joys from our human history. That where we were, we have the need to tell, this is what I was doing on 9-11 when I heard about the plane crashing into the World Trade Center. We absolutely need to realize that each of those stories need to be told, and projects like the StoryCorps, different projects with the National Archives that are, that are recording these stories, are helping to document um, that we are all part of this. We cannot think, just like with the environment, what happens to the environment happens to our bodies. What happens in your story, Tom, somehow happens to me, and if I don't feel it yet, I will or my children will. We absolutely need to take the time to sit and listen to anyone who needs to tell us their story, even and maybe especially when it makes us uncomfortable. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other, bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further not just ready for change, but hungry for it, demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands, and this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud, to make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. So 
far, we've talked about the idea of story being essential to understanding who we are, uh, our culture, our religion, our traditions, our, our mores, our beliefs. But I know that you go beyond that and you use stories as a way of uh, crossing boundaries with mm. interfaith groups and other groups. Mm-hmm. Talk about that, please. So the moment you said that, the crossing boundaries, and I knew what you were getting at, I just went, mmm, and a <laughs> smile just formed on my face because I'm thinking about something very specific that happened two weeks ago that was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. I had the honor of facilitating a story circle, and I'll explain what that is in a moment, a story circle for a group of about 45 women and some teens, all female, Muslims and Jews. In Baltimore County, a woman, a Jewish woman, at her home, invited all of these people in. And they were from a mosque and a specific synagogue. So it was two, two communities brought together. Many, many months of planning from both Jewish members of the synagogue and Muslim members of the mosque. None of the people knew each other before, except for the, the leaders who had also just met you know, a few months prior. And there we were in this home, sitting on couches and chairs and some on the floor, and we were sharing our stories with women who were so different and so similar to us. (sighs) To look around the room and see the most beautiful and (sighs) incredible, intelligent, emotionally intelligent women in one space I was just overcome with this feeling that if there were circles like this of these kind of people all over the world, the world could transform. And to see my daughter, 14 years old, sitting with a Muslim young lady who we found out later happened to live, happens to live a 10-minute walk from our house. even though we were about a 20-minute drive away. Wow. And they were texting later that night. They would have never met, and there they were. And another young lady, a Jewish teenager, about age 15, who I've never met before, she raised her hand and she said, oh, I asked them, you know, does anybody have anything to say as we're having these partner conversations? with a Muslim woman and a Jewish woman. And sometimes two Muslim women were together and two Jewish people were together because they have to learn from each other too and why they've come to this event, um, what was their calling, what are their passions. But this young lady raised her hand in the full circle in front of 45 people. And when I asked, what, what is your experience here? What do you want from this? She said, I need to be exposed to other people I live in this area of Baltimore County that is a predominantly Jewish area where many Jewish people live, and this is my community. And she was very happy to be part of that community. Right. But she said, I need to be exposed to other people. And one of the women, one of the older women said, from the mouth of babes. 
<laughs> from the mouths of babes. Right. And this young lady, she is an old soul because she gets it. And if she's the kind of person, if all those teens, Muslim and Jewish, are the kind of people that are going to lead the next generation, we are going to be better than okay. But we need to show them we're not going to wait for you to do it. We in our 40s, we in all generations, need to sit and listen to each other's stories. And in some instances, I actually had a partner. In many, I was just walking around as the facilitator. The women, when I would ring the little bell to say, you know, I'm going to give you a new topic, you have to get a new partner, it was like, oh, and they hugged each other. There were people crying. We were eating the most delicious foods from our traditions around the table together, around our living room, listening to each other's stories. This is, it's more than healing. It's more than taking a wound and healing a wound when we cross the boundary, when we hold out a hand. It is a true transformation of an entire people. Because once you know someone and have heard their stories, not only can you obviously not hate them, but you cannot not love them. Because they are you. Yes, there's a different flavor. There's often something, some very, very essential pieces of our religions or our culture back then that are very different. And I'm not one for just saying, oh, we're all 100% the same. That's part of the beauty of what America could be, is that we're not all melted in like we used to learn when we were little. But we are deliciously wonderfully different and yet connected. And when put in a room together, in a society together, we make it better and healthier with diversity. Just like in the ecosystem of our environment, environments with diversity are healthier, our environment of this country is at its healthiest when there are all kinds of us. And that is what I saw in that room. Everybody wanted more. And celebrating differences as, as well as similarities. Exactly. And, that, and, and what you just said is exactly what people said. You know, everything isn't exactly the same. But that's fascinating. And if we would do that within our communities, too. Sometimes, one of the women said, you know, sometimes it's easier to be with a different group of people than to share some of these ideas with your own group. There's so many little uh, separations that we make instead of really saying we're all around the table together. One last question, and we're going to have to end, unfortunately. But I, I want to talk about, I, I don't think personally, and many of the experts I think agree with me, that we have not had the conversations that we need to have about race. Now, let's move from that to anti-Semitism. Um, have we had the conversations that we need to have, not just looking back to the 1930s and 40s, but looking at today and the hate speech that we encounter today? Mm. I think we are having them, and I think we need to have many, many more. 
um, in smaller circles and bigger circles. And what I mean by that, I think, again, of being at the at that storytelling circle with the Muslim and Jewish women where right. everybody was in partners, and you were sit- seated one-to-one. Each person had a little time to share, and the other person had a little time to appreciate what the first person said, and then the switch. If we could have all these conversations about anti-Semitism, about race, about the, the horrible... Uh, treatment that many have in our country and certainly in other countries if they are from the LGBTQ community. If we could have those conversations and sharing one-on-one and then bring that into some larger circles, again, that's when the transformation happens. One of the things about anti-Semitism I think that confuses a lot of people is that people in this country look at Jews as white. And Jews were, some Jews are white or consider themselves white. Many do not in world Jewry. Certainly not everyone is white. They come from all over the world. And um, we have to be really careful to understand that each Jewish person, just like each African-American person or each person who considers himself or herself gay or um, queer, that we each have our own experience of being part of that group. And it's important to listen to the people and the individual experiences they are having. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of differences within, I think, the Jewish community's experience of anti-Semitism. But I will tell you, I think Everybody will tell you, certainly in my age group, I'm in my 40s, that there has been a much, much more obvious aspect to anti-Semitism in this country, at least for those of us who felt maybe a little too comfortable. You know, I grew up in an area with a lot of Jewish people. I felt very safe when I thought of anti-Semitism. It was completely relegated to the past. I will say now that I was in, I don't want to say in denial, because I really didn't know when I was a child. I was, I'll say, I was clueless. I really did not see the reality, the the violence, and I don't just mean the violence in the sense of physical violence, of course I mean that, but the verbal violence against Jewish people or people perceived to be Jewish. I teach, as you know, teach the Holocaust more not as a Holocaust scholar by any means, but as a as a storyteller, as a Jewish educator. And the people who take the classes are not the problem. Even if they don't know, even if there's some ignorance, that's okay. We're all learning. They want to learn. It's the people who think they know. Like with Islamophobia, it's the signs when I see a sign that a man is holding in a in a, a newscast, and it says something horrible about you know, all I needed to know about Islam. I learned the nine eleven. I felt like I had been kicked in the stomach. How can you know a thing about Islam if you're honing a sign like that? You come and you sit with these people in the circles. That's how you learn. And I think that that's the same thing about Jews. People think they know us, and anyone 
who puts um, sees Jewish people as not not as human as they are, or any group, cannot know who we are. Jennifer, we're going to end on that note. Thank you so much for talking with us. We appreciate it. We hope that we can get back to you in the future. Thank you so much, Tom. I really, really enjoyed the questions. And um, the, some of these topics were really challenging topics, and we need to open our circle and keep talking about them. Thank you. Today, we've been talking with storyteller, poet, educator, Jennifer Zunikov on the power of storytelling and stories to effectuate change. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. 